Do you know what nemesis means? Hello and welcome to Direct, the podcast that takes a direct trajectory through a director's filmography. I'm Eric. I'm Levi. Blade 2 is the movie we watched this week. Levi, in 30 seconds or less, please give me your review of Blade 2. This was a vampire movie. It was fun. The story had holes in it you could drive a truck through. Uh Uh-huh. And the Reapers were actually pretty scary. It was okay. It was okay. I mean, this is a bad movie, right? It's a... a yeah, it's not a good movie. <laughs> it's a bad. It's easily the worst movie that we've watched for direct. Absolutely. Uh, you think worse than Mimic? I actually think it is worse than Mimic. Mm, I'm on the fence. I, it would. De- you'd have to clarify the grading standards <laughs> for me to pick between the two. Uh, I mean, we watched Mimic's director's cut, so I think Del Toro had a little bit more influence over it, but I thought from a story perspective alone that this movie was, I mean, this movie's a, it's a, it's a video game. It's there, the, this, the scenes with dialogue are basically just cut scenes to get you from action piece to action piece. Um, there wasn't a lot of substance and the plot holes were. <laughs> I'm usually not the type of guy who likes to point out plot holes, but the plot holes were, uh, they were rampant. They get pretty excessive. Yeah. But as a, we haven't really had in this full run, and I can't even remember how long we've been doing this. Are we up to a year yet? Oh, no. We started in October. Really? Yeah. It feels like forever. Um, this is the first kind of, soda and popcorn movie that we've watched Hmm. and from that point of view it it satisfied Mm. all right for me i mean i feel like edgar wright's movies are soda and popcorn movies but they are also really good yeah i don't know i mean there's he does he is more challenging i (laughs) this movie scratches an itch of and it's it's really a relic of the '90s. I mean, this movie. I think it came out in 2001, and or 2002. Wow. And uh, and it 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 is. It's just like it's like a it's a it's a bunch of set pieces that were just excuses for action. And unfortunately, the action for me w- fell really flat because they kept on doing the dumbest stuff. Like, the Reapers are invulnerable to bullets. Let's keep shooting them with bullets. Like I'm like, come on, guys. Use your UV rays. I have a long list of conceivably worst tactical moves possible <laughs> written out here and bulleted. <laughs> I've got four that came up so frequently, it was hard at times to put it behind me. Okay. But well, then the fight scenes they? were, with the exception of the CG moments, there were some solid fight scenes and it's early cg you know you know they they were trying they're getting their feet wet on the cg i'm i'll i'll give them the cg even though it was bad cg i mean this movie had a ton of matrix influences in my opinion and this is like smack dab in the middle of the matrix era matrix came out in 1999 and i think matrix reloaded came out during in 2002 
Um, let me just check my uh, 2003. So there was this was the Matrix era. So put a trench coat on somebody and do some CGI fights and get some techno music and have a rave and put some vampires in it. There Stir were, it all up. If this hadn't come out before Reloaded, Matrix Reloaded, yeah. I think there would be an awful lot of accusations of copycatting some of the moments which is weird because why would anybody want to steal the rave scene or the weird (laughs) uh mr smith hundred mr smith fight scene cgi dude i would watch the matrix reloaded a billion times out of a billion times over this movie blade (laughs) 2 i don't think i can tell you how much that i don't like blade (laughs) 2 Well, this is going to be good. We haven't had a solid complaint episode. So this is... Haven't had a stinker You know what? Yet. Let's drag this one out into the rainy street and <laughs> give it a whooping. I mean, I've got... There were some good moments, actually. I've got some stuff in here that I liked. I'm not going to just hit on the film for fun. Because that is fun, but it's also cynical. And I'd like to... I'd really like to put this in context of Guillermo del Toro's career. Um because I think that there there are some interesting things to take away from that. Uh, but let's start off with a synopsis. Uh, a loyal listener told me that uh, he listens to the shows, but he doesn't watch the movies. So <laughs> he would appreciate a synopsis at the beginning. Uh, so quick synopsis of Blade 2. Uh, opening scene, they completely retconned all of the things that happened in Blade 1. And the death of, uh, what's his name? Whistler. Of Whistler. They just retcon it immediately. They're like, oh, actually, he became a vampire and was kidnapped. I spent half the movie trying to decide whether or not Whistler had been cured of vampirism or if Blade had given him something similar to what keeps his thirst at bay. It's, they really, yeah, they, they pull back so fast that I was waiting for him to stand in sunlight so I could determine. <laughs> What actually, and if we want to talk about some plot holes, we need to, after (laughs) the synopsis, we need to sit down and talk about the, the physics of light. Okay. Yeah, I know. Because. Yes, I know. I know. Good Lord. (laughs) It's offensive. (laughs) Um, yeah. So anyway, they, they completely retconned this. So his mentor Whistler is now back in action. And he's also got this a scrappy young mechanic named Scud, who uh, is played by Norman Reedus. He actually does a pretty good job in this movie. Solid Norman Reedus acting. Solid Norman Reedus. Um, so they're out, and they, they go out, and they start killing vampires. But then the vampires come to them, and the vampires say, Hey, man, there's a new vampire on the streets, and that vampire's killing vampires, so we want your help killing that vampire. And so then they embark on this journey. Blade embarks on this journey trying to kill these other vampires while teaming up with vampires who he used to hunt and who were trained to hunt him. Classic, the enemy of my enemy is Mm -hmm. still my enemy. Yes. Uh, We could get... I want to get into why it made any sense at all for Blade to go along (laughs) with this plan. But then, uh, as you might guess, Blade is then betrayed and almost murdered uh and then the bad vampire kills the other bad vampire and that's this is pretty much the plot 
I mean, it's, they're just there bad are, vampires, and then there are worse vampires, but the worst vampires are killing vampires. So are they bad vampires? I don't know. I think they are because they're awful people, <laughs> and they crawl around like monsters, and their faces open up. I guess that's the best. Maybe I'll write down the synopsis next time, but really this movie has no plot. <laughs> it's light on plot, heavy on uh, fight scenes. But how is the Blade comic book? Because I took... Five minutes last night, too. I was curious where this plot falls in the comic universe. And the synopsis I read on the Marvel Wiki doesn't even begin to engage what actually happens in that comic. It's crazy. (laughs) It's just name after name of Blade, just people he's trying to kill. That's all Uh I got from the Wiki. There's nothing saying... And at some point, he befriends some vampires and does some work killing some other. It's just, and then he was at Mojo Joe's looking for the one that turned his mother. And then then he met Doctor Strange, and Doctor Strange messes with his mind. And then he's in Atlantis or something. I don't know. I really want to see this movie rebuilt after Deadpool. I want the (laughs) R-rated comic book movie that we deserve. Unfortunately... The rights to Blade reverted back to Marvel, so he can't be in a team-up Deadpool pick. But I would totally watch Deadpool and Blade. It would be great to see Marvel try the R-rated thing now. Uh, I don't know. I feel like it would be copycat. And that's the interesting thing, too, about this movie is that it's a Marvel movie, but it doesn't have that Marvel opening title sequence that I think began in X-Men. I thought that, you know what I'm talking about. I where, thought that began with the... Iron Man. I thought Iron mm. Man was the real kickoff for Marvel Studios. It was the kickoff for Marvel Studios, but they used to just have Marvel as a nameplate at the beginning. That was definitely on Spider-Man. I know it was on Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. I think you're... Even though Spider-Man's Sony? Yeah, because it was just Marvel. It wasn't Marvel Studios. It's the same way... It still is on there. Like on on Deadpool, it's on there. It's that the Marvel nameplate is on stuff. It's just not Marvel Studios, huh? Yeah, well, I would love to see this revisited. I think Blade is a very interesting character in the Marvel universe. Hmm. As far he lands, kind of around the Punisher. I think he doesn't have to be a ripoff of Deadpool. You don't have to be so funny, but there are moments where. Because Blade is so grim, when he is humorous, it's really kind of funny. <laughs> Wesley Snipes, I, I'll hand it to him. He really embodies this role. <laughs> like He's into it. He's into the whole thing. And I watched an interview with Guillermo del Toro about this movie. And GDT was high on this film, man. He said that this movie is like a rock concert, and if it's too loud, you're too old. So maybe I'm just too old you're for this just movie. I don't know. But he did say that there were two things that he that he um, you know really handed to Wesley at, in terms of having input on the film. The first one was stunt choreography and the choreography of the fights. And I think Wesley Snipes actually does a pretty goddamn good job in the fight scenes in this movie. Yeah, the sword play um, is pretty solid. Yeah, for a movie absolutely. of this type. And then the second thing was that GDT just he just. Uh, deferred to Wesley Snipes when it came to any character actions or anything around Blade. So, like, Wesley Snipes embodies this character, and I think he has a lot of love for this character. He's actually trying to resurrect Blade. He's trying to do Blade 4, 
But uh, I think if they do remake this movie, they should definitely recast Blade. They could also get a different writer. Well, okay. Do you know who wrote this movie? Yeah, Goyer. I was looking. David his... S. Goyer. He's. I couldn't believe it. So hit or miss. I mean, the... oh, he's not that hit or miss when you take out his collaborations with Nolan, though. Yeah, that's true. Well, and I'm and I'm willing. That's that's why I say yes. Yeah. So maybe that's just Nolan doing Nolan's thing, and Goyer is not a good writer. Well, okay. So David S. Goyer for the listeners here. Um, David S. Goyer, he wrote all the uh, Batman Begins. He wrote Good. Uh, the Dark Knight. Good. He wrote Man of Steel. Meh. I actually, I'm I'm a Man of Steel apologist, but um, <laughs> Man of Steel's okay. It yeah, it was I all right easily, for the start of that series. This is going to be sacrilege to the people who grew up on the uh, Christopher Reeve ones, but for me, it's my favorite Superman movie. I have um, not really seen any of the Superman, so I don't have that measuring stick that everybody breaks out on Reddit forums when mm-hmm. it comes to Henry Cavill's Superman. Yep. So I think he's an acceptable Superman. I don't think he's mind-blowing, though, by any stretch. <laughs> and he wrote uh, he and he and wrote the, the brand-new uh, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> and that in itself is our review from Eric. <laughs> that's true i guess it's it's a type of movie i probably would have gotten and seen opening weekend yep uh, maybe a little while ago um other superhero movies he he uh developed the tv series constantine which had a early exit on nbc <laughs> um he also wrote ghostwriter spirit of vengeance is that which was was that the one second of the one. movies yeah that was the second one with Nicolas Cage. With Nick Cage. I'm willing to blame that one on Nicolas Cage. Have you seen it? It's been a long time. I probably went and saw it with my parents. It only came out in 2011. It's only five years old. But I seem to remember watching that movie and actually kind of liking it. I think I like caught it on an afternoon. And don't get me wrong. It's not a good movie by any means. But <laughs> there's just something about Nicolas Cage being a motorcycle riding uh, skeleton man with a chain whip. <laughs> See, that's... I think I feel like there's something meta in there though that might be mm-hmm. like we. Nicholas Cage is just this ephemeral creature that we watch with awe, but not necessarily <laughs> adoration. Yeah, that is just. I mean, basically, Goyer is the superhero guy, and he cut his teeth on the Blade movies, Blade One. Blade 2 and Blade Trinity. Which he directed the third one. Apparently Del Toro, GDT was not his man. He decided to take the reins into his own hands. And Blade Trinity, very interesting uh, little tidbit on this, is that that's Ryan Reynolds' first foray at the superhero It also had Triple H, which is the only thing I remember about (laughs) Blade 3. Because I was watching a lot of wrestling at the time, if I recall. I mean... Blade 3, Jessica Biel, Ryan Reynolds, Parker Posey, uh, <laughs> I think his uh, Triple H's real name is Paul Levesque. Ryan Reynolds has um, been trying for a long time to just land a permanent Marvel role. Well, he finally did it, buddy. And and he was in Green Lantern's DC. Anyway, oh, <laughs> I digress. 
David Goyer, man, though, this is where he cut his teeth. And it's so funny because this is really, I think some, you could, you could make the argument that Blade opened the door to the superhero movies, you know? Um, How so? Well, because we, there was, there was a long period of time where there were no superhero movies. And then, and then they just slammed onto the scene and Blade came out in 1998. X-Men came out in 2000. And I think Spider-Man came out in 2002. I'll just... Uh, All right, given that... Yeah, 2002. You know- and really, the, the, that kind of ramp up got Marvel onto the onto the big screen. That's a very interesting analysis. I think there is some credence in that. Although, yeah. how many R-rated comic book hero movies were there aside from Blade? Uh well there was the Punisher movies. Uh and then and then of course Deadpool baby. Yeah, I mean that's just it's a long gap and I'm curious to see if the ripple of deck cuz that's something I read around Deadpool now and I'm curious mm-hmm. to see what Marvel does with it but the fact that now studios might be more willing I don't know. And yeah. with Doctor Strange coming up, I, D- Blade lands on the occult side of the comic books. And that's why I think Guillermo del Toro, of the Blade movies, I think his is the best. And that's based hmm. mostly on the fact that I just watched this one and I don't yeah. really remember the others. <laughs> but there were scenes from this movie that I remembered as they happened. And hmm. I remembered Ron Perlman, certainly. Yeah, Rob Perlman's pretty good. Pretty good in this movie, although once again, character motivations and <laughs> uh some 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 plot details were a little off. But I don't know, man. Like the, the my problem with inserting Blade into the Marvel universe, Marvel Marvel Cinematic Universe, is that now all of a sudden vampires are a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's like does that work? Because we already have aliens as a big part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and and now there's like a whole underground of I don't know. But that's why I'm saying that with the because Doctor Strange is ramping up, and I think there's a lot of curiosity about what that that's mm-hmm. going to bring the same realm, the occult, to what has largely been a science fiction universe to this point. Yeah, but my question is, is that going to be explained away the same way that Thor is kind of explained away? That, like, that, you know, they call it science, and or we call it science and they call it magic, that sort of thing. Where it's more, like, otherworldly, but still within the possibility of science. But that's the Lovecraft. I mean, this is the Lovecraft side of that hmm. argument. I think they find themselves in the same arena lovecraft and the occult of the marvel universe being because we have you remember from guardians of the galaxy there's the giant the titan's head that they're mining at one point that is that same extended and they don't have to really cross paths i mean maybe blade only hangs out with dr strange and when they come to the really big team up <laughs> movies blade doesn't show up because he doesn't care he al- he almost doesn't yeah, care enough doesn't. for this movie to be mo- the when the vampires come to him and try and convince him to hang with them the only reason he goes along is because he just wants to see what they're up to yeah it's because he's going to kill right. him anyways and he's on to him from the start which is is he seemingly though? well he blows up norman reedus over that with that argument 
Oh my gosh, Norbert Reedus. <laughs> oh Scud, I love Scud so much, and the turd was so ham fisted. It was like <laughs> what? What? So let me get this straight. You infiltrated Blade's secret hideout. You are his right-hand man. And you're working for the other vampire the entire time? And he knew. Like, so that whole yeah. thing is just... That whole deception just goes out the window. It's crazy to me, though. It's like... So let me get this straight. You were camping in the woods, got ripped apart by two vampires, saved by Blade, and that was your in. <laughs> Like that was all planned. I mean, I guess if I guess it, <laughs> I, I I guess if he's if he's you know Ron Perlman's familiar, maybe it was all staged. But you still got to take the slices to the chest because you had the scars. I'm just there's maybe I, I might be overthinking this movie a little too much. I think you are super overthinking this rock concert. Why do we go to rock <laughs> concerts, man? Because. <laughs> Well, my problem is that it would have been great if it was just big action set, set pieces, but I didn't feel like the action set pieces were that interesting. Yeah, the club really turned into. I mean, let's so the big. Let's think about the big action set pieces. There's the mm. opening scene, which is pretty solid opener with the flip over the motorcycle. I thought that was right. pretty fantastic. Uh, Little James Bond opening, you know? Yeah, exactly. Little scene. first Del Toro movie we've seen with no opening mm-hmm. into a story. They wait to give blades background until the credits, the opening credits. Yep. Yeah. Um, we have, so they have that. We have the sword fight in front of the lights, which was largely CGI and very apparent. Um, <laughs> yeah. With the UV suits that immediately vanish. Yeah. Like, why didn't they use those? <laughs> well, that know. would have justified some of the, Issues with the light. So here's my question. Do we blame uh-huh. Guillermo del Toro for the gaps? Or is he making the best of the script that he was given? Well, I think that Guillermo del Toro is decompressing. I like to look at these films in sequence. And apparently he really wanted to make Hellboy before he made Blade Two. And he was kind of making Blade 2 as a proof of concept for Hellboy, and it allowed him to do that. And that he he said that in a, in a recent in, or in an interview from from the era that I just watched. Um, so I'm I think he was just trying to prove that he could do a Hollywood comic book movie without. Uh, you know, it's kind of a second chance after Mimic. And also, I feel like it's a decompressing thing because Devil's Backbone was such a personal film to him and something that he really put a lot of his, you know, time and effort in. And it, it, Devil's Backbone, in many respects to me, is kind of his last chance movie in that this is this was like, he just made Mimic, he had a terrible experience on Mimic, and he needed to go and regroup and he did that with devil's backbone, but it was probably pretty emotionally draining and he just wanted to go back and make a fun movie and blade two is presented to him and he's like, all right, let's do it. So, um, going back to your question, is it his, is, do we blame him or do we blame David S. Goyer? I think that they're both equally to blame. I mean, del Toro, uh, 
you know, definitely could have put more um, logic into this movie, but I don't think he really cared. I think he wanted to make an action movie, and he did. I, it's definitely a roller coaster. I agree. If we watch, because Pan's Labyrinth is next, mm-hmm. right? And then it's Hellboy. I mean, if you look from Kronos to Mimic, you know, his sort of personal project, and then a Hollywood movie that totally uh, sucked. Uh, especially in terms of his opinion on the process. And then we come back up, he makes Devil's Backbone, really, again, another deep movie. And then he makes Blade for kicks. And then Pan's Labyrinth, that's going to be a heavy ride. No, no. Hellboy is next. Oh, Hellboy is next. Hellboy before he made Pan's oh, Labyrinth. Sweet. Hellboy, then Pan's Labyrinth. And yeah. it's still, you know, he goes back and forth. And I think when we come back around to Pan's Labyrinth, and Hellboy probably, for how much it showed up and earlier and even for this uh he got mike mignola to do the the alternate cover of uh devil's backbone which i thought Mm -hmm. was super cool um and then this movie i think he had mignola helping him with the with some of the art direction on this movie on blade 2 and then he gets to finally make that hellboy movie which i think he's been gunning for for a long time yeah he really is trying to i mean he's eight years old and you watch any of his interviews he is an eight-year-old child in the best way possible he loves what he does he chases the projects that he loves i was watching a interview with him and hideo kojima and those two just the love (laughs) affair this this boyhood love affair that they have with one another is beautiful and i it makes him I think a great director, but we are subjected to things like Blade Two, where he he enjoyed. I think he enjoyed it, and that was all that he needed. Yeah, I mean, he's quoted as saying that this is the exact movie that he wanted to make. So there's no bones about it. Blade Two is his movie. It's not like Mimic, um, where I liked Mimic better. I did, um, but. Uh, but maybe, like I said, maybe I'm just too old. Maybe it's just too loud. Uh, yeah, I feel like my upbringing, my Arnold Schwarzenegger commando upbringing is just shows through where uh, there's a lot I can forgive in a movie with decent action. Yeah. I'm, Over I'm something like thrilled. Mimic. I just wasn't thrilled with the action. That was, I think that was my main problem. I mean... It's not that hard to problem solve this, guys. They o- they're only susceptible to to sunlight, so just <laughs> use sunlight. Put on a UV suit and use sunlight. And they're all dead. It's not that hard. But they're in the sewer. You gotta go down and dig them up. Get your blade dirty and just shoot them with uh, and shoot them just to slow them down. They mention that they re- they still, despite uh, the fact knowing bolts don't work, they continue to shoot them for the rest of the movie because it just it buys you a second. To throw out those UV grenades where that light bouncing off the walls, mm-hmm. like fire, which is not how light works at all, <laughs> that light totally reflects and smokes the whole bunch of them. But it doesn't, re- but it reflects in a linear trajectory that is convenient for the film. So anybody that takes cover and I'm doing the air quotes move when I say uh-huh. cover, that light bouncing doesn't kill them. <laughs> Yeah, take cover, guys. Take cover from the light. This UV, there's so much UV, it's basically plasma. (laughs) 
Yeah, this uh, this movie's pretty funny. It's a funny movie. Um, the I also like that the bad guy's name was Nomak. It's like not even like a very menacing name. It's just Nomak. This is the guy. <laughs> I mean, my my main qualm with the movie is that I just was kind of bored for most of it, and then the last thirty minutes actually got interesting. I was like, why didn't they move this up? Like when we find out that Nomak was created by the um, head vampire man, and then there's and the betrayal of Blade happens, and they're inside the the headquarters, like. I feel like this is where it gets interesting is when you throw all of your characters into a very tight space and they have to deal with each other. Um, it, it just made it so much more interesting. And so like, but that was an hour and a half into the movie. This is two hours. This movie, I think was Guillermo del Toro's longest movie to date. Uh, when he made it, it's, it's a two hour movie. This does not need to be a two-hour movie. There could be some troop. Yeah, there is a lot of exposition that could have been trimmed down and made, and it could have. It could have. You could have had your action throughout. I yeah, think they could have cut like three action sequences, and it would have been fine. Yeah, this movie is is longer than the Devil's Backbone, <laughs> and the Devil's Backbone has packed so much more emotion and thought and plot and villains and all this stuff into it um yep longer than chronos and definitely longer than mimic i think mimic's only like 90 minutes long but do you have lines in mimic or devil's backbone like suckhead or my Uh personal favorite i wrote down whistler calls ron perlman nipplehead at some point Is that because he had the bomb on the back of his head? I don't know why he called Just because he's bald, sort of. He's got like a ring of hair around his head in an odd fashion. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it was just one I of mean, those moments where I lit up and went, who wrote that line? Who said that? <laughs> yes, that's the slam that we want. And then they turn one of the most likable characters in the movie, who's Scud, into a traitor. And they blow him up immediately. <laughs> And if it wasn't a dud, why didn't it blow up the first time? Because he he wanted to lure Scud out of his ruse. And he wanted to throw down okay. with Ron Perlman. Oh, wow. I do this all day. This is, uh, okay, I love <laughs> I'm it. I'm a Blade let's, let's 2 apologist. <laughs> what other gaps you got? Um, Let's see. <laughs> you just got your... <laughs> I, you know, I, I I hate to pick this movie apart because it's not the type of movie that warrants it. Like, if you're going to put this much thought into picking a movie apart, you should do it in a movie that, that like The Devil's Backbone. Um, I mean, we covered the light thing. I just, I, I had such a hard time. Like, like the like in the final thought in the final fight between what's his name Womack. Snowback. <laughs> Nomac between Nomac and Blade, I'm like, why are you guys punching each other? Like, you know what each other's weaknesses are. Just shine <laughs> some UV light on him, and he's done. Uh, especially since it was almost dawn. Okay, so and <laughs> yeah, if, if you got some, if you have a thought to finish, but then I want to discuss the timing, the tactical timing of M- every vampire move, 
occurs mm-hmm. an hour before dawn. Let's go to a club which is yeah. full of people <laughs> 30 minutes before dawn. Let's yeah. fight in this room with windows. Windows in this vampire castle. Yeah. <laughs> and we just close the blinds about 15 minutes before dawn and throw down. What was the <laughs> escape also... plan? <laughs> I know. I And also... I mean, Blade's kind of an asshole. He's like, "We'll go during the daytime. We'll go. We'll go find the bad vampires during the daytime." And all the other vampires are like, "But we'll die." And he's like, "That's what we're doing." <laughs> the other vampires should be like, "No, no, that's not what we're doing." Yeah, but they made him leader of the unit, so he gets to make the calls. He's not the leader. Nobody, <laughs> nobody likes him at all. It was a they- terrible plan. This whole group of people is trained to ki- has been training for two years to kill Blade, and now all of a sudden he's buddy buddy with them. Like I actually liked that Ron Perlman's character had it secretly out for Blade the whole time, but was trying to figure out how we could kill him. Because I was like, if you're going to be putting yourself in a situation where you're constantly outnumbered by a tactical force team that was designed to murder you, you're probably going to get killed, Blade. <laughs> And all because you want to know more about their castle? Like, I don't... Uh, I did enjoy that nobody really flinched about the bomb on the back of Ron Perlman's head. He did it, and they kind of just let it happen. Everybody's (laughs) like, oh, well, that's what you get for fucking with him. Oh, man. Um... All right, let's 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 go through here. I, I have a bunch of notes on this. First one, this did you know this movie's actually called Blade Two Blood Hunt? I, I couldn't have told you that before order renting it on Amazon. I did not realize that it had a subtitle. Yeah. Well, it's weird because Blade Two Blood Hunt is the name on Amazon, but I can't find Blade Two Blood Hunt anywhere else. <laughs> so I'm just wondering if maybe some dude at Amazon gave it a subtitle for no reason. <laughs> That'd be. That would be a sweet job if you just started yeah. interjecting subtitles <laughs> into sequels. I love it. It's a movie that like nobody watches. This is the same Slow guy that renamed Edge of Tomorrow to Live Die Repeat, and I will yeah. have his head on a spike for that. <laughs> um also I love in the opening scene when they're at the blood bank. Um I did I did like that blood bank. Like that's an atmospheric place that felt a lot like the factory in Kronos or, uh, or even, you know, that kind of Gothic thing that was going on with the, uh, with the orphanage and the devil's backbone. Like, I like these kind of place settings that Guillermo del Toro creates that are unique and strange. I like the blood bank. I thought that was cool. Yeah. It's really an environment that feels like you'd never want to give a blood there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but they pay for it, and so that's why. They just get a bunch of junkies and stuff. But you think that, like, you think the blood would be, like, bad. Well, there's like, a, I feel a room like a where vampire... they're mopping it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, I feel like if you're a vampire, like, there's different tiers of blood. Like, like you wouldn't want to drink, like, an athlete's blood because it's full of, it's been doped, you know? <laughs> uh, you wouldn't want a junkie's blood because it's got like heroin in it and stuff. Like, I wonder what like the prime blood is for a vampire. I think they really missed an opportunity to explore that in this blood bank. I know. So there should be some like vampire connoisseurs. <laughs> what did you say your job was? Oh, you're a semen yay. Yes, please come on back. 
really looking for the wine <laughs> notes in your blood. Yeah, exactly. When was the last? Yeah, I mean, you, if you get somebody while they're drunk, maybe you get a little residual buzz. <laughs> You're vegan? Nope. Get out. Get the fuck out. Nobody wants you here. Vegans probably have pretty good blood. I, I think vegan is probably like top shelf blood. No way. I don't know do why I'm saying no way, but it just it seems <laughs> counterintuitive to the uh, the meat eating nature of vampires. But they don't have any other. It's it's kind of poetic in some ways. It actually makes sense in a food chain <laughs> because the carnivores eat the herbivores because the herbivores are getting all the things out of the plant that the carnivores aren't getting by eating out of the plant. So it does make sense actually that vegan exactly. blood would probably be way up there. And they're not consuming any other animals, so they're not like you know they're not getting a little bloody steak. <laughs> you don't get any blood contamination; just p- pure blood. Oh, this guy's vegan not. This guy's blood. not vegan. He's vegetarian. This form, no! throw it out. <laughs> He's been drinking milk. This is all wrong. Through and taste the milk notes. <laughs> uh, but I did love at the beginning is like you know they paid cash and. You can give them as much blood as you want. <laughs> They'll even take it in jars. And I was like, that's cool, man. Like, right off the bat, Guillermo del Toro, stuff in jars. That's a, that's a del toro <laughs> And it's blood off the street. It's just, I, it's just, a, it's just a, like a mason jar full of blood. <laughs> I know. There's no explanation like, as to how it got in the jar. And they're, and that's the joke. They're, they don't need to explain. But it is immediately letting you know this is a comic book <laughs> and yeah. also eastern europe so we assume the rule all the rules are out the window yeah i also thought that the recap of the first movie was pretty good because i did not watch blade one to prepare for this movie but they do a pretty good <laughs> recap of what happened in blade one just in letting um, you know that whistler was turned Right. No, they did like a whole thing of like, my name's Blade. I was born half vampire, half not vampire. But I feel like they and give that cap recap in Bla- in the first Blade movie. I oh, feel like I don't that's know. always his history. I don't but think they, they give a, good, a backstory in Blade 1. Well, they did a good job, though, of, of bringing people up to speed. <laughs> I didn't feel like I missed anything <laughs> you did. from Blade 1. In fact, I was like, I'm happy I didn't watch Blade 1 because Whistler's death seemed like a very poignant moment, and then they immediately retconned it. They didn't realize they were going to get a trilogy out of Blade. Yeah, BT Dubs, he'd shot himself, but I guess because he was a vampire, he survived? And they put him in like a back-to-bath of blood? Yeah. Oh, man. We could get to the blood scene. The, the, (laughs) (laughs) The Blade... Uh, blood scene when he falls in the thing of blood and becomes Superman. As Ron Perlman is shooting him on the way down. Yeah, with shotguns. <laughs> but then it, when he gets out, no more shotguns. Because nope, he, he's is, a vampire. He's going to be a fist a fight. Blood. <laughs> <sighs> um, okay. Uh, lots of Matrix references, but. I, like I said, I think Wesley Snipes does kick some ass in this movie. He likes his character, man. Yeah. He likes Blade. Good on him. You could tell. And I mean, if anybody cuts their hair like that. <laughs> he actually got um, those tattoos as well. Yeah. Oh, I, I wanted to ask you this question. On the D&D scale, <laughs> how would you rate Blade? So, you know, Dungeons & Dragons... Um, what is it called? You know, chaotic evil. Oh, or... where does he fall on the spectrum? 
Yeah, on the spectrum he's, within Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, you know, I'd say he's lawful neutral. He's okay. really on a. This is a revenge movie. Blade is a revenge uh-huh. based character. He doesn't necessarily care about individual people. He kind of cares about the human race. He's willing to, you know, convenience the human race by killing vampires. But really, he is just getting out some childhood angst by killing yeah. vampires constantly. He, and he mutilates. Oh, he man. really he, likes. I he uses way more bullets than necessary. <laughs> he likes to really cut them up in really cruel yeah. ways. He slices them up. It's like the bullets are doing a good job, Blade. You could probably just get like a you know a couple Uzis full of silver bullets. I mean, I guess silver bullets are probably expensive. Who's who's bankrolling Blade? <laughs> That's another question. It's uh, a lot of sterling silver. <laughs> they steal uh, family silver. Uh, yeah, where in their off time? He goes to a lot. He goes to a lot of estate sales, <laughs> <laughs> and he melts it down. I think that's a that's a internet that's a YouTube short we should make. Blade yeah. going to like, Blade going. This is real silver. This is hundred percent silver. Um. So yeah, I guess that's good. I guess lawful neutral is interesting because lawful neutral is not one that you usually hear about. You don't usually run into lawful neutral characters, but I think you're right. He's got a specific set of rules he follows. I don't know though, man. He's mildly chaotic. <laughs> well, this guy kind of doesn't give a fuck about anything. But they knew that he would. They could general the vampires could generally predict his moves up until yeah. they put him on a table and spiked him at yeah, which point he was... still did what you expected him to do which is break out and kill everybody but he really yeah joining the vampires he did it under a very specific set of circumstances the idea that the reapers were worse than the vampires even though he didn't really know that see i don't think that he cared about the reapers at all i think he his main motivation for joining the vampire assault team was uh, to get deeper into the vampire lair. I feel like it was the Reapers were just a means to an end. I don't think that he was actually that cared that much about the Reapers. Yeah, I don't think so either. Although they were, there was the the argument that they require they have to feed more frequently than the regular vampires. Yeah, can we talk about the but Reaper only- design? Sure, but they only they only fed on vampires. They didn't feed on humans. Well, humans were next was the argument. Yes and no. <laughs> I mean, that that's that's a that's a jump. It's a that's a it's a it's you know, it's sound, it's sound judgment, but it's not necessarily. I mean, if they weren't going after humans, then maybe they just, you know, maybe they kill all the vampires and then the reapers are just uh this other segment of society with really bad uh, jaws. <laughs> I mean, it's a whole new field of dentistry, though. <laughs> they didn't really have teeth in there. Oh, yeah, they had molars. <laughs> they had teeth on the top, <laughs> and then they had fangs on the bottom. I would argue that the teeth on the top were for show at best. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like they were really doing a lot of chewing. <laughs> they really... Uh, this was... I, I mean, that's the Del Toro touch. Is yeah. the he loves the kind of, it's not it's not quite buggy, but it's in that department. 
don't know. The guy's got a real yeah. hard on for bugs, and I think this is when we start to see his move to the notion of viruses is like the next big because he does this in the strain as well the idea that Mm -hmm. it's a a parasite that it's not you know we're going smaller than bugs on in his obsession of evolution that maybe we're not and i do like how they explain it as a parasite and that like there's a new parasite in town um I feel like that was cool that that it did have that scientific angle, and maybe that is what ties it to that Marvel esque universe. Is that sure there are vampires, but it's a they they have a sickness. They're not just vampires for vampire's sake. All the graphics um, for those faces were solid, dude. I, I think there were a lot of practical ones with the mouth thing I, going on. Yeah, with the mouth thing, I'd have to see. I some think that set shots. they did. Yeah, they did a lot of CGI, but I think that they also did practical effects as well. Um, particularly when they are shooting up from the bottom. So, like, if you're shooting, looking at the face, looking up through the chin, because then they could put kind of angle the head forward and put the prosthetic in front of the mouth. Oh. And then, like, shoot it open. I think most of the tongues were CGI, but I do think they had some. You think the opening portion? Yeah. That's the noise it makes. (laughs) And they were good, man. Those were good monsters. I liked them. They were easily, like, uh, the. They were easily my favorite part of the movie. Like, I wanted to know more about them. (laughs) Uh, And I liked how Nomak was, like,. He would seem to be the only one that had a head on his shoulders. Everybody else kind of seemed like mindless killers, but I found I found them really interesting, um, and I wanted more of them because I was kind of fed up by the vampires pretty early. <laughs> Vampire Assault Squad. Yeah, the um, the idea. It's a little bit of a a cheap move to just make something. Uh, it's like, oh, we had vampires before. How do we outdo vampires? Worse vampires. Yeah. <laughs> okay, come on, guys. <laughs> we could be a little more. It would have been nice if there had been a different motivation other than sucking blood. If the Reapers had yeah. just been more maybe autonomous and not necessarily, you know, set Blade up to think that they're harmful, but they're really no worse than vampires. Well, and they were so mindless. They were just, they're basically vampire zombies. Well, they didn't need minds because you can't shoot them, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But it would have been, I feel like it would have been more interesting if they would have put together some kind of society that they, and then they were tactically trying to, you know, kill vampires. Something, something that was a little more cranial as opposed to just these unrelenting forces and like i didn't like the way that they crawled around i'm like that's not an efficient way to get around as a bipedal mammal but when that one goes up the wall backwards with the sword and cutting his guts out that was that was pretty that was was del toro's that's probably his favorite moment if i were to guess he mentions it directly in the Ah. but i mean that guy you know the way he went up there he sliced off some I guess that they don't really care yeah, about that I don't that think he anymore. was going to be using his bits anymore. <laughs> I think that this is one of my main issues with this movie, though, is the faceless baddie. Like, it was just faceless bad guys the whole time. And so, without any human drama to back that up, it was just Blade running around killing a bunch of faceless people that, like, or faceless vampires that were like, all right, well, I guess another one died. 
And <laughs> also, what was going on in the club, dude, when they sl- were slicing people open? Uh, do you have any idea what was happening there? Know, it's a vampire thing, man. Maybe that's how you do like, a, like a scar tattoo move. I don't know. I don't know, It was man. a rave. Like were... I wasn't old enough to ever participate in those things. I don't know what happens. Well, I don't think that they were slicing people. I don't think that's a direct pull from rave culture. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Maybe it's the it's the, the no. rolling on Molly no. or whatever it was at the I time. I mean, I guess I guess they're immortal. So they could slice open their bodies and they would be fine. They would survive. So if they maybe they just sliced open their bodies and like felt around inside because it feels weird. Or maybe something. it was just maybe they're putting magnets in there. Maybe they were ahead of the Duh. what's that called? Uh, oh, body yeah, the body mod culture. Yeah, body mods. There you go. Uh, Solved it. But I mean, that was my main problem. Is it's like there were the vampires were so faceless, and then the reapers were also faceless, and it was just like, okay, how many of these things are we going to just kill over and over and over and over with no real drama moving the plot forward it was just let's get to the next set piece where we can blow these guys up and that's why i really like i said i think it's like a video game movie it's basically here's our cutscene, and then we're going to jump into this place and kill everybody and then here's another cutscene, and then we're going to jump into our place and then we're gonna have a boss fight it was basically a video game and that's but that's a prop this is a problem i think that every marvel Every superhero movie really is every superheroes in general, just as a, a yeah. medium suffer from is what happens when you are all powerful? What happens when you are so far above and beyond? You can give, you can either come up with one solid villain, which I think there are writers out there who understand that. I think the people who write Kingsman very much understand that it's the villain that makes the movie, but then you get, yeah. The both Avengers movies where they just, hey, let's throw, okay, we threw thousands at them, didn't work, let's throw tens of thousands <laughs> at them in this next Avenger movie. And that's just always going to be a struggle for the for that material. Yeah, and I think part of it too is Disney. Disney owning them because you can't kill armies, you have to kill aliens. So here's a new strain of aliens, or here's a new strain of robots, or... Yeah, it it's I I totally agree, man. I mean, my favorite. I mean, obviously, Batman is my favorite superhero. Batman has the best villains. It's like it, I love like a single bad guy who's so big and bad and tests the hero in every way that the hero needs to be tested. Um, it makes it so much more interesting. Uh, especially with a character like Batman or a character like Blade, where they are teetering on the edge of becoming a villain themselves. There's there's a small, like you said, moral code, lawful uh, direction that these superhero characters have to follow or else they teeter into the world of supervillainy themselves. Uh, it's how they live with themselves when they're doing all this shit. But also, Batman, you know, henchmen are cool, man. You can kill some henchmen. And give us some names. I'm trying to remember for Hellboy what the villain the villainy is. I'm pretty sure it's not this scenario of one after the other. And if I'm remembering correctly, I think Guillermo del Toro has a writing credit on Hellboy where he doesn't on this one. Yeah, I think it's something. Right. I think he made the best of what he could with this script. I don't think that we can necessarily blame. I think 
he tried to make Nomak interesting. I think that's why Nomak's interesting yeah. and none of the other Reapers are. I think that he was right. able to like, draw that out. If they were out. all as intelligent as Nomak, all of a sudden this this force is super formidable. And I just would have liked to see a, a bigger scene where the Reapers go in and just destroy like a ton of vampires and really assert themselves as like the new big the new big bads in town. Because without doing that, like okay, so two vampires break into Blade's hideout, fight him, and then stop the fight and then have a truce, and then he's like, Oh, okay, I'll go to vampire headquarters with you. It's just like I, I I had no idea what his motivations were. He obviously knew where this place was. It wasn't like a huge mystery to him. Um I don't know. It was uh it was just a little clunky, man. It was clunky. I would have liked to see the Reapers be a little bit more formidable and bad. And if they were all as intelligent as Nomak, then I think that it could have been achieved. Um, What else we got here? Oakley commercial. <laughs> so many Oakleys. I really love those sunglasses. And Sunglasses at you'd night. You'd think that Blade suffers from the same, same thing as Riddick does because he, he doesn't ever take the sunglasses off. Right. And they well, never explain why. Talked, well, they talked about it a little bit in that when they're in the, when Whisper, is his name Whisper? Whistler. We're getting that wrong. Whistler. When he, when they're in the sewer and, uh, and, um, uh, Ron Perlman's character is like, you know, says something about like, what are you stumbling around and, or no, he has a light and he's like, Hey man, the light hurts some of us. And he's like, well, some of us can't see in the dark. So apparently it's as bright as day for all the vampires. And that's why there were sunglasses. But even still, like if, if it's just normal daylights, I mean, is everything, is the darkness so bright that they have to wear sunglasses all the time? It's a good thing I that sunglasses know. were invented. I don't know what they did in the dark before <laughs> sunglasses. <laughs> Maybe they did invent sunglasses. If you want to watch a good vampire movie, go watch What We Do in the Shadows. I watched oh, yeah, that two weeks that. ago. Damn, that's a good movie. Really so good. So good. Um. <laughs> Something I wanted to throw out there, a good, uh, yeah. and I apologize for the baby in the background if that's picking up. Um, he is just baby. not happy. He does not Little want baby, to go man. to sleep. Well, he watched Blade, and he's not happy about it. <laughs> yeah, he wants me to take a firmer stance against Blade Two. <laughs> um, what do you think? Of, did you notice the? And I heard it in an interview afterwards, but I had written it in my notes. The fact that during the day was actually blue toned, and during the night mm-hmm. was the warmer orange tone, which you had brought up in the previous in Devil's yeah. Backbone, makes a comeback yeah. here. Definite Del Toroism. Yeah, blue and orange is big time uh, for him. I have it written down here as well. And I thought it was interesting because I felt like this movie warranted reds. Like, I mean, it's a vampire movie. Like, I feel like they could have used red tones really effectively, but he he leans once again on the blues and oranges, which is he's he's used in all of his movies. Um, So it's definitely something to keep an eye out for in future films. It was nice to see the reversal that... Because this is a movie centered around vampires that we would normally associate the warm light with the day, and he does it for yeah. the active times of the vampires. 
which I would say is which, night, but really it's more like 5 a.m. <laughs> well, it's also more in line with the actual um, color of and the heat temperature of light. Artificial is light. Is that yeah. at night we turn on a bunch of artificial lights, which, which glow orange, and in the daytime we have daylight, which actually glows blue. So, um, so it correlates to that. Uh, I do have a question here, and I wanted to ask this very sincerely. <laughs> I like you have to preface it. I do, because my question is, what is interesting about Blade as a character? Because this movie doesn't call out very many things that are interesting to him, aside from being a heartless killer of vampires. I feel like Blade is interesting because... I'm thinking of it right now. Uh-huh. He should be interesting because of the revenge aspect, but that has nothing to do with this movie whatsoever. He he does. It's not about revenge, though. It's he is part vampire. Why does he hate vampires? Because so much? they bit his mom while she was pregnant. That's how he ended up a, a dampier, I believe, is the term uh-huh. that I read on the Marvel okay. Wikipedia, and maybe they mentioned okay. it in the movie in that in the voiceover at the credits. Uh, yep. They bit his mom, and then I think they come back and kill her, or she dies from the bite, and he is born. Like I said, it's really a lot of just like angst of the environment that he grew up in, and he grew up in, I think, a brothel. There's a lot revolved around his childhood, uh, growing up on the yeah. streets, um, and so there's really a history that they make no mention of whatsoever, which. I'll give him credit. I didn't need to see Batman's parents die in Batman versus Superman. Right. I got it. I know how he became Batman. Yeah. We've got the last eight years of solid Batman background. We can yep. move on. Well, so I think that the thing that's most interesting about Blade is that he still has the thirst. But it's not... Ex- it's not really explored apart from one scene where he's shooting the serum into his arms. It's, it's the fact that he is uh, something that he despises. I mean, there's something really interesting to that. And yet he has the cure. He has the rapid detox that he gave Whistler. So if he really wanted to, he could give that to himself. But he doesn't want to because of his uh, revenge lust against the vampires. He doesn't want to get rid of his vampirism because it's the source of his power. That is his dark but life-giving secret. Oh, uh, there you go. And that is what is that's what needs to be pursued in this movie. In these movies, is that like where how how does he balance that? How does he balance being uh, a the, being the thing the one thing that he despises, um, and yet he can't give it up. Like that is that's what's interesting about Blade. Not like, can I learn more about vampires? I don't like really Blade. You know, you know about vampires. You're a vampire. Um, second question. This one's not as sincere. <laughs> if you're a vampire, do you have to grow your nails long? Yes. Because that old Nosferatu guy. I'm like, I know that your nails are are gross and and they're like black, but you can still cut them short. You don't have to. <laughs> Grow into claws. He's very much. He does a lot of coke. Uh, oh, <laughs> and as I'll a vampire, you. he doesn't really suffer yeah. as many of the negative effects. <laughs> I did like the blood coke. Did in this movie? Did you notice that? I'm trying to remember. They have like it was in the very opening scene. 
um, when Blade goes in, it kills all the all the guys. Uh, there's a guy who's like snorting blood. Oh like yeah, powdered yeah. Blood. Sorry, I thought you meant like a Coke, like a Coca Cola. <laughs> and I was like, I don't remember no, somebody but- drinking blood out of a soda can. That actually lines up. It, it so maybe he does. Maybe he likes to. Maybe he really likes that blood. Coke. <laughs> um, That's making any sense. It's a source of sustenance. We don't. We don't <laughs> snort flour. <laughs> like, oh man, I love bread, but mm. snorting a little bit of flour. Woo, get that bread high. Eh, it's water based, though. <laughs> it's, I mean, flour isn't water based. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> The last thing that I just wanted to mention is that I was hoping so much in the final scene when Blade kills, what's his name, Mildred? Milfred? <laughs> Nomak. Nomak. <laughs> you started knowing his name, and you have moved away from remembering his name. Because I closed the IMDb page. <laughs> um, when he kills Nomak, I was hoping so much for another armpit stab. <laughs> because he had to go in sideways. I was like, please, armpit stab, and they missed it just by You know, though, that's let's keep an eye out for it, though. I wonder, I'm trying to, I yeah. don't remember well enough. I'm trying to think if Pacific Rim has an armpit stab, because I feel like that'd be a good place to stab Ooh, a kaiju. Maybe. But they only pulled a sword out for the one fight. I have been dying to watch that movie and actively having to put it off for this podcast uh-huh. is a real bummer. Because <laughs> I could use a pick-me-up easy movie <laughs> yeah well we're one step closer here's i um, have one final thing about this movie here's yep. my question no this isn't a question this is commentary for anybody writing a vampire story if your vampire commits suicide by going out to watch the sunrise that's like me saying you know what? I want to see the bottom of the ocean one last time. <laughs> Tie a brick to my foot and throw me off a pier. That's the conceivably the worst way to go. Yeah, it's it's nothing You're but burning sheer alive pain. the whole time, and she seems cool with it. But everybody else that has died to the sunlight yeah. is like, <laughs> let me see the sunrise. <laughs> let me show you the internet. <laughs> Tons of pictures and videos of the sunrise. <sighs> Anyways. Um, that was my final so thought that's, of Blade 2. That's Blade 2, guys. Uh, hope you liked it as much as we did. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, next week we have uh, Hellboy. And I'm actually really excited for Hellboy. And I'm excited to see this this in context to, Ble- uh, to Hellboy. Um <laughs> We also got a lot of uh got a lot of um sorry responses on the forums uh from our good friends Davy Mac and Dances with Wookies. Uh I like how <laughs> Dances with Wookies says this movie had a distinct lack of child murder and Catholic imagery. <laughs> so that took away from my enjoyment of the film. Um and uh and yeah. even the water uh, imagery was pretty weak too. I mean it was in a well, sewer but I mean really it didn't yeah. There wasn't as after Devil's Backbone, you know. Yeah. Uh Yeah, there's just so many plot holes in this movie, dude. Like so many times where they put down their guns when they should have shot people and sta- and put down their knives when they should have stabbed people. 
we could get into this a lot. But anyway, go to the forums. Yuck it up over there. Forums.ballmove.com. There'll be a forum for Hellboy um, available promptly. And you can email us directpodcast at gmail.com. All right. I'm out. Um, I don't have anything more to share about this movie. Okay, I think we. I think this is like our longest podcast, and so it's better than his favorite. <laughs> you movie. know, it's just like Del Toro with this being his longest movie, and <laughs> probably his one of his weakest. But you know, if you go see right. go see Hardcore Henry, and this movie seems subtle by comparison. What do you have? Mean? You not seen Hardcore Henry or the previews? No, have I you seen the trailers for it? I've, I've seen the trailers, but it's definitely a video. Oh game Oh my movie, god, right? <laughs> that's a video game movie. This this is a okay. Goyer a Goya painting by comparison. It's a Goyer painting, a David S. Goyer. <laughs> that's what I thought. Somebody was the first time I heard mentioned about this was Goyer. I thought somebody said Goya. I was very confused. Well, learn your Spanish artist, people. Okay, let's <laughs> let's go away. Let's go um, I'll away. see you next week <laughs> for Hellboy. Until then, I'm Eric. Cut. <laughs>